0: Hi everyone welcome back to the Cranog this is a very special episode because it is the podcast's first official birthday um for those of you who were around at the time we did some trial episodes which started on the 21st of December 2020 and then we officially launched the podcast on the 21st of June 2021 so it's the podcast official six-month birthday but we've been recording episodes for a year now. Um, so we thought we would do just a fun relaxed episode since it's coming up to Christmas um, where we ask some questions on our Instagram and we're going to answer them. Um, The first one and I apologize if I pronounce any of these names wrong but Perry would love to know some Scottish Christmas time traditions or lore. Uh,
1: Yeah so I was over in the US um, until 2009, I was there for eight years and the first tradition I ran into when I came back was Hogmanay. Um, So you'll hear Hogmanay a bit more than Christmas in Scotland because for a while all Christmas celebrations were banned by the Scottish Parliament so instead people turned to New Year's Eve or Hogmanay as a way to gather with their loved ones and express their hopes for the year to come. Um, But uh, you have like ceilies and dances on Christmas but you can also get them on New Year's as well. So in 2009 our school had a school dance, a uh, little Kaylee and Rebecca is probably cringing really terribly at the moment because they were, oh, they were something else. Um, <laughs> but at the I end, remember those? <laughs> oh right, Mila. Oh my god! You know, all the boys lined up on one side, all the girls lined up on the other, and no one would dance together. It's just too much to ask a like thirteen year old to do. <laughs> but at the end of the night, everyone comes together in this big circle. And sings old line dine. Um Everyone holds hands and we run in and we basically have like a, a mosh pit at the end of it but like I was there Hannah was on one side I remember um, another girl Coverback, was on the other side and it was maybe the first time since coming to Scotland that I didn't feel so alone since leaving my friends back in the USA so that's by far my favorite tradition
2: it
0: really is a bonding moment that, isn't it? Everybody loves a good Kaylee.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's so fun. A Kaylee is so much fun. Um, and it's such a bonding moment because literally, like it's it's in school, there you kind of go into your cliques very quickly, but everyone holds hands and does all line sign together. Mm-hmm. And then you know, if you're in Edinburgh for uh New Year's, it echoes through the streets. It's so good.
0: I would love to go to Edinburgh for
1: New Year at some point. Never done it before. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it maybe after COVID, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was say holding hands is not the most uh, COVID-friendly <laughs> action right now. <laughs> not like sure if ones? you can do all lang sign without
2: holding hands, especially
0: <laughs> the mosh pit bit. It's like everybody runs in together and like screams in each other's faces. <laughs> mm, that would not be able to happen right now.
2: I still remember one we did for our friends birthday that they were from newcastle and we all went down to newcastle for the 21st and the confused faces and all of their grandparents and everything's faces as all the scottish ones formed in a circle and ran <laughs> in is this gra- grabbing random great aunts who were zimmer frames trying to get them in. <laughs> i always love kaylee's and things like the i think the secondary school kaylee is one of those very scottish christmas time things like he mm-hmm. for us went from the usual schedule of rugby or hockey to a month's worth of learning how remembering how to do your kaylee dances before the christmas dance
0: i feel like you don't appreciate it in, in school either like i think everyone hates it in school and then they leave school and they're like Kayleigh's are amazing yeah <laughs> now all i want to do is go to a kaylee
3: <laughs> that is the thing i've missed most through COVID, it's mm. Kaylee's not been I mean, yeah. I, like, I mean, not far off two years since the last Kaylee. Oh
0: God, that's rough. Actually, yeah, yeah, oh, I think that's
3: the
1: same. It's really
0: sad to think about.
1: I just want a dashing white sergeant again. <laughs> oh, here's a question. What's your favorite Kaylee dance?
0: Oh, uh, strip the will. That's a good one. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's just really violent, basically. You've got <laughs> <laughs> you've got a row of people, uh, two rows of people facing each other. And then the people at the top, this is really hard to explain, but Yeah, people, I was thinking this you, was a full move, Becca. <laughs> the people at the top come to the middle and like spin round, like what is it, twelve times or something? Something like that. And then they all they work their way down the opposite line, spinning each person and then spinning in the middle, and then you get like three of them going at the same time, and it, it's just chaos.
1: Oh, everyone's yeah. just laughing and yeah. you see your friends on the line down and you try to literally launch them into a wall or something
0: <laughs> you see like a shoe flying by
1: and you don't yeah. even know like whose shoe it is <laughs> you respect <laughs> and admire someone for wearing shoes and not going barefoot
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I've done that dance in heels oh Mila oh
0: you should get a round of applause for that <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do it as violently as
2: everybody else, but the shoes stayed on. The shoes do not cough. <laughs> Incredible. Dude, I'm taming my favourite one. I like St. Bernard Waltz. I think it's just quite nice, little. And oh. sometimes at Akele, you're so knackered. You need a bit of a slower dance to <laughs> get your breath back again. <laughs> Especially wearing a kilt because you get so hot in a kilt. Mm-hmm.
3: Canadian barn dance. Oh, that's a
2: good one. I always find that one too hard with all the hop, skippy, jumpy bits. I
0: I just quite like a Gay Gordons. Yeah, classic. I think it's probably one of the first ones I learned, which is probably why I like it. But I feel like it's one of the easier ones to learn when you're just starting out, because there's not too many like spins and turns, like you just do the same thing over and over. And then there's a bit where you can like change partner and like you kind of go and sort of dance with everybody in the big circle, almost. Yeah. um but it's I feel like it's one of the easier ones if there are easier ones to correct me but I feel like that's probably the
2: easiest I think one. most of them are like designed to be reasonably simple like it's very repetitive I think it's when I see it I'm always like this is designed for drunk Scottish people to remember how to do <laughs> like when I'm in the village yeah. all back home and there's like a load of like pensioners who are two bottles of wine down and they can still remember the steps I'm like this is <laughs> this is what this is designed for <laughs>
1: What was yours? Oh mine would have to be Dash and White Sergeant all the way. <laughs> so much fun. Nothing, oh, like, a Nothing yeah. like a paddy bath.
0: Nothing like a paddy
1: bath. I did actually, you know, I went to Prague recently and so it was a wee bit chilly over there. So um everyone we did like a nighttime tour of the castle, but you know, it's on a big hill and so that's extra chilly. So everyone was trying to stamp their feet to keep warm and I taught my friend how to do a potty bar to keep warm. <laughs> and the rest of the tour group was like, you know, that looks quite good. So there was just a little circle of people doing a potty bar at the Prague castle. It was very
2: yes. Yes. <laughs> Represented
1: bullshit. It must have looked so strange, like we were trying to summon, like, I don't know, a haggis or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I really struggled to think of um like Scottish Christmas t- traditions just because like it's always Hogmanay here that's so big mm. compared to Christmas.
2: I managed to find I managed to find like little bits and pieces. of so things like in the Highlands, there were a lot more big fans of the the whole twelve <coughs> nights and se- celebrating 12th night rather than Christmas as such. All the way up until kind of the early eighteen hundreds, it was a much bigger thing up there. And then one of my favorite ones that found was it was like um, Scotland's own, like, Krampus that was uh, in the Isle of Ily. And I can't remember how you pronounced it. I think I've still got it on my phone somewhere. But it would, like, just, like, terrorise the children to make them behave at Christmas time. So it would be, like, the howling of the sound down the chimneys. That was him howling at you, like, trying to get you. So it was, what was it? The Crom du something like that. It was based off of um, an Irish creature that had then become part of isle folklore, which is seems to be the way with a lot of the islands and the outsides of Scotland. They've adopted a lot of the Irish traditions and
0: I love how sanitized Santa has become.
2: Yeah, he's now just a, a lovely guy who sells Coca-Cola whereas he used to be. <laughs> if, you
0: if you don't be good, I will kill you.
2: Yeah. Ooh. I also
1: um, picked up something the I think it was it Noliag he said.
2: Yes. Nulag. Yeah, that creature.
1: Well, there's the Kaliak Noliag. But the Kaliak Noliag is a tradition where the head of a household finds a piece of strong oak wood and carves it into the face of an old woman. And then the log is thrown into the fire on Christmas Eve to represent the death of the cold
2: weather soon to come. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Your your log-style tradition, almost.
0: It reminds me of something that I found, um, where apparently you burn a twig of rowan on Christmas Eve to protect the household and to like promote good relationships between family members and like not let any jealousy happen. Um, how do we look about to see like where it could have come from and there wasn't really any like real answer um, but like the rowan tree is important in folklore like it's thought to be a fairy tree it's meant to protect you from witches, and then also the Norse um, legends. It, Rowan was really important to them, so it might have come over with the Vikings. We just don't know, but that was a yeah, kind of ties in with that.
3: I just think Scotland kind of—I I was going to say—lost all of its Christmas traditions, but it's more just moved them to Hogmanay because, like Rasheen said, like Christmas was basically officially banned up till 1958 i think so like grant like grandparents generation just worked on christmas day like that was just normal and you know everything was everything was open all the shops were open it's why i say the best scottish christmas tradition is that we get two days off for hogmanay <laughs>
0: So the next question, so again, sorry if I pronounced this wrong, but uh, Jamila asks, how old is the oldest folk story that you know?
1: This is such a tough one. Yeah. Because most of the folk tales like you hear, they've just been passed around. Like there's no origin point that's traceable.
2: The Linton weren't quite historically old. Like We know it goes back to whenever it was that the baron was given his barony, like the first baron of Linton. Mm-hmm. Which was, I think, around the time of Richard the Lionheart, so we're talking kind of Crusades era. Um, but other than that, I don't know which ones would maybe be more like Scathach and that kind of things are probably from much older Celtic stories, mm-hmm. but we don't know because they were never written down. So yeah, it's quite a hard one to answer. Mm-hmm.
3: The oldest one, I note like that's written down that i know of is the red eton. because that was a favorite of james v so it's at least 550 years old and it was in one of the it's really annoying because i had it written down and i've lost it um but it's in one of the like chronicles of the time i just can't remember which one
0: um oldest i can think of from Maybe some of the ones that I've done on the podcast is maybe about the washerwoman. The washerwoman story is about this very creepy lady who's more of like a ghost. And she would wash the clothes of people who are going to die next. And there were some stories about... um, There was one about an abbey that collapsed and that was in like 1742. And then before that, it was... Uh, there was a massacre, Massacre of Glencoe, um, which was 1690s. So that's probably one of the oldest ones I can think of, certainly from our podcast. But I, I wonder actually if the other groups have had even older stuff. I feel like anything to do with fairies is probably going to be again and be that kind of century,
2: potentially. Well, some kind of ones like the caliak myths that we've kind of covered before. It's hard to pinpoint exactly when the specific stories came from, but there's like written references to the kind of winter calliac mm-hmm. from transcriptions in the 8th to 12th century from the earlier Celtic legends and like poems and things like that.
0: I think, especially things like the Kalia and is it Angus and Bride? Yeah. Yeah, I think the ones that are especially tied to the seasons you could probably guess as being older because it's going to be, they're probably going to come from like a pre Christian very like land-based culture. Um, I mean, that's what I would guess anyway. Yeah, especially stuff we
1: did about like winter solstice. And I don't know, I feel like personally, the celebrations of the year and the seasons probably predate written history, just because that would be one of the first things that people would be able to track and like the first pattern that they'd be able to understand. Maybe um maybe agricultural once agricultural society uh came came about, people started celebrating that a bit more because they realized the power of having a good harvest and a bad winter. So I feel like that might be the oldest thing we have on record just because it like we have no idea where it started. It could be so early.
0: Yeah, definitely. That and probably like creation myths. We don't seem to
2: have that many Scottish creation myths I know, but like a world-wise one anyway.
3: Yeah, well I was just thinking um, there's Asipatel and the Steward Worm. But it's kind of a creation myth for other countries, but it's well, it's Orcadian, but it probably predates when Orkney was actually part of Scotland so Because
2: I know a few of the kind of the Renaissance Celtic kind of ones that were bringing it back in the, the early 19th century and into the kind of Art Nouveau period in the early 20th century. A lot of them were producing art in a way that was trying to represent it in the same kind of way that the kind of Grecians with their creation myths mm. and kind of stories to do with creating all the different things were to give it more kind of impact than little stories told in small villages. So
0: trying to create like an epic culture. Yeah. There was a, I think the first episode that the at the time it wasn't the Greenwood, um, but it was Rosie and Kathy. One, I think it was their first episode. They did the Kaliak, and I think it was there's like a kind of creation myth surrounding the Kaliak.
3: That, the Kaliak is supposed to have created Scotland, and she came to this thing, yeah. and, and you know she yeah. dropped. She had a, a uh, like a creel full of rocks and stuff, and she kept dropping them all over the place, and um. It's just, I mean, everything. It's just she's got a big hammer that she can carve out mountains, and she used them as stepping stones. And there's things like Loch Ness, the River Ness, and Loch Ness is supposed to be one of those nine hags that um, basically annoys the Kaliak so much that she turned her into a river. Um, it's the same as <laughs> like Loch All. Loch All is supposed to have been because the Kaliak had this magic spring at the top of Ben Cruachan, and she would. Unstopper it basically i don't know to drink or whatever and then put it back again and she forgot to she fell asleep and when she woke up the lock all was all the water had flowed down and formed the lock and there's loads i mean if you just look on an os map and you just see the word kalyak everywhere um with all these little things that have their own local
2: story that people have probably forgotten by now she definitely placed my whole liking the villain style character. <laughs> I've, I've got like a kind of warmness towards her, despite the fact she's always represented as quite a sinister mm-hmm. creature
3: mm, with a blue skin and a red teeth yeah. and one yeah. eye.
1: Yeah, uh, so for I, I looked as well for old stories and I couldn't find, I couldn't really find anyone. I was running into the same ish, issue as everybody else, like what counts as old. So I've, I've done a bit of a reach, as I am known to do. The unicorn, as we all know, is Scotland's national animal. It was also adopted into the Royal Coat of Arms around the 1500s, uh, but their legend appears well back into mm-hmm. known history. I think the first was with the ancient Babil- uh, Babylonians, and the first written account was in the fourth century BCE by a Greek doctor, Cetesius who um, described the wild horned horses roaming through Persia. Um, So very ancient and it's Scottish because we're super cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was, that was my one, but I actually, I couldn't find any legends with um, the unicorn. I think most people just took them as a real life thing that you could just find around like wherever you were around the world, either that or that they were off in India, which for a long time was just this distant exotic place where all magic was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it counts as a legend because it was just, you know, a general belief.
3: From my experience, there are no Scottish unicorn stories.
2: Yeah, I've not, I've never come across any either, at least not anything that's like predates the kind of 20th century anyway.
3: I think that genuinely I think the reason is that people thought they were real so like they're not you know I I think when it comes to or or people sorry not that people thought they were real more people thought they were just normal like they've never seen them before but they're normal you know while people think obviously like brownies and fairies and trout like whatever people know they're supernatural creatures so they have stories about them but a unicorn it's like you know why would you write a story about the horse i don't know yeah
1: yeah it's it's really- just,
3: just
1: but the unicorn generally represented proud untamable creatures that were incredibly difficult to capture this was like what was known about them they're often depicted wearing chains and crowns because they're so powerful and then uh later on when they were connected with Uh, the Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ through the Bible, they were connected with purity. Um, There was a legend about how they could dip their horn into water and that water would become purified and able to drink. So all of this kind of mixed together to create this image of an animal that only the very powerful could control and an animal that was very proud and you know would not bow its head to anyone other than the most deserving. So by attaching it to the coat of arms probably was a bit of a message to England uh that you know we are proud untamable we are our own people and then when king james the 5th and si- or the 1st and 6th sorry came forward he put the unicorn and the lion on the royal coat of arms for the first time so it was the first time they're put together as a way to say look these two nations coming together Um, The proud lion and the proud unicorn bound together, but he did not know the legend that the lion and the unicorn are locked in an eternal struggle for power over one another, um, which actually they think comes from the Babylonian myth, which was that the uh, unicorn represented the moon and the lion represented the sun. So they were eternally chasing each other through the sky in a battle to dominate the skies. Um, so yeah, so quite interesting. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Some really interesting stuff out there, but again, you know, so many people just, they took it to be a real life thing. Like the narwhal horn trade was incredibly lucrative because people buy it and think it was a unicorn horn. Um, so they weren't, they weren't considered to be especially, they were considered to be special in that they were difficult to find. Um, only the most powerful could have them.
2: I think Elizabeth the First had a narwhal horn and fully believed that it was a unicorn's horn. So it was like one of her prized possessions I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
3: You used to get like ground up unicorn horn to put in your drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned, stuff like that.
2: Wow. Um,
3: yeah, the people were nuts.
2: I just like the idea that maybe England had gone for the lion and everybody was like, that's ridiculous, you don't have be lions. And Scotland was like, I'll do one better. <laughs> <laughs> we will have a unicorn.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know the thing about the sun and the moon. That's really interesting. That's it's so st-
0: cool.
3: Because it's supposed to be that the, the unicorn's the only animal that can defeat a lion. It's mm. the only animal more powerful. And it's interesting, if you look at the... The Royal Coat of Arms, even today, if you look at it in Scotland, so on like Hollywood Palace and stuff, it's got the unicorn first and the lion on the other side. If you look at the one down south on Buckingham Palace, it's the other way around.
2: Ah, I'd never noticed there was any
0: difference. Patrick asks, what does the Scottish flag mean?
3: The Scottish flag, the Saltire, the St. Andrew's cross. So it's yeah, the sort of white X cross on a blue background. But the cross is because it's St. An Andrew's cross. It's he. I mean, this is less sort of Scottish folklore more just Bible stuff. Uh, so he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified on the same shape of a cross as Christ. So he asked for it to be that kind, basically. And the whole reason that St. Andrew is connected with Scotland is that apparently St. Rule or St. Regulus had a vision that St. Andrew's bones weren't safe where they were in Greece when he died. So he was to take them in a boat and sail to the ends of the earth. And wherever the boat landed, he was to build a shrine to St. Andrew. And apparently the ends of the earth are fife. Um, <laughs> I've heard
2: that before. No, his, right. little, his, little, <laughs> his little shrine,
3: and eventually that grew into the, a church and then a cathedral, and, and all that stuff. I mean, there's another story that it was a bishop from somewhere in England that brought some of St. Andrew's uh, bones up north and started the whole thing. But it was the Battle of I can never say it properly, Athelstanford was where. I think it was a group of joint Picts and Scots who had got together to fight the Saxons who were invading, and they were badly outnumbered, and it was all looking very bleak for them. Um, And King Angus, who was the sort of joint leader of the the group, had a dream where St Andrew came to him and said, don't worry tomorrow, look out for my sign, and that will show you that you're going to win. And... You know, the battle came and you know, he was worried, but he looked up and saw the blue sky and the clouds formed the St Andrew's cross on it, and the Scots slash Picts went on to win the battle and Angus said he would then make Saint Andrew the patron saint of well, at that point, Pictland, um
2: and eventually Scotland. And what they didn't tell you about that myth is the sultan appeared because two jets had flown over and it was an aerial strike and that's why they won the battle.
3: <laughs> There's another, like, a, a slight sort of follow-up legend that's kind of uh, related is during the Battle of Roslyn in, like, 1303 or something, around about then, apparently, this is when a, a force of, like, 8,000 Scots supposedly... Fought three battles in a day against thirty thousand English and won, and it's one of these sort of mythical battles. Nobody really knows what actually happened. Um, but at one point, the um, a bunch of priests apparently went on the local hill and laid out all these sheets to make a St. Andrew's cross on the hill to inspire the soldiers, as like a harking back to the Ethel Stanford battle.
2: The only thing I ever think of when I think of St Andrew's Cross is once when I was working at Sports Hotel in St Andrews, I came out from a lunch break and there was just people reenacting the crucified. There was a cross and a dude that was being <laughs> tied up on it and loads of people were <laughs> filming it coolly as like a kind of historical project thing.
3: You're sure it was a reenactment and you didn't watch like a murder yeah. and just be like, that's cool.
1: And he's still out there david go and give him a hand they were in robes and stuff so that's unless an an it was
0: it's an average day out in <laughs> life really <laughs> tenerife actually uses the saltire as their like official flag and i was on holiday once so we'd been on a ship and i got off and like there was just all these saltires in the in like in the cruise terminal and i was so confused because i didn't know and i was like did they know we were coming <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? But no, they, their patron saint is also St Andrew. <music> Joyce asks, what is a haggis?
1: <laughs> so a little creature.
3: <laughs> well, that's a good question. It is officially haggis hunting season right now.
1: It is. I have yeah. a Spotify playlist called Haggis Hunting. Mm, runs,
3: until, <laughs> no. runs until Burns Day, Burns Night. Have
0: mm. any of you guys been out to
2: catch your haggis yet?
1: No, I'm I'm coming back this weekend uh, specifically for it
2: to catch your one ready for Burns Night.
1: Yes, because you know you have to um, treat them and, and, you know, and dry them and all. It's a very the-
2: long process. We've hat from the skins, all that kind of yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> we tend to do it on New Year's Day, yeah. family tradition.
2: Do you remember when we the hotel we were in the other night there it had that print of yes hunting haggis, and it was <laughs> like a, a, an antique etching.
3: But they do, they do love single malt whiskey. That's why you have to mask your scent with as much whiskey as possible before going after them.
2: Oh. Mm. <laughs> and it's often why the people most drunk on whiskey find the best haggises. It's true. <laughs> it's why they're the ones who can really tell you about how they run and like what they look like. Have
3: <laughs> you if you've <laughs> ever been, ever been to the Drovers Inn, uh, North of Loch Lomond? They've got in a case a um, stuffed haggis, taxidermy <laughs> haggis. It. I think there's one in. I think there's one in the Kelvin Grove Museum as well.
0: Yeah, Alaska. there is. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: Kate asks, what is your favourite monster? Mine's a Mm brownie.
2: I like a brownie. I don't know if I'd say they're a monster, but they're a Scottish folk creature. And I just like them because they seem like they they have their their limit. Like they can snap quite dramatically. And also they're just a bit flippant. Like, ah, a coat. I now will disappear forever despite having lived here for hundreds of years. (laughs) Or like, they'll be like, they're very hardworking. They don't, then they won't take slackers and other members of staff. Mm-hmm. Like, I like the, the work ethic there Ask for little reward, but if you don't give them that, they'll properly flip out. You know, <laughs> I think they're very reasonable creatures, but also if you cross them, you, you're in trouble. Just quite endearing. And the idea of like all these big old houses having like their own little magical creature seemed fun.
0: Yeah, it is quite adorable. <laughs>
3: yeah. I'll go with a proper monster then uh, okay. the Bavan Shi. Because they're just so terrifyingly evil. And yeah, I love the. I think the Baba and she are, are excellent. Scottish vampires, female vampires.
0: The original girl boss.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the whole vampire biting your neck and thingy, they've got like basically just talons, like those girls that have those fake nails that are like <laughs> twice as long as their fingers and they know yeah, slit slit the throat with like... those hope oh, i have not offended anybody listening uh <laughs> they slit the, slit the throat with their, their long nails and then just
2: go for it
0: it's such a like unique way to kill someone as well i love
2: that that's well, what lady gaga did an american horror story hotel <laughs> that's oh, <laughs> inspiration
3: one of the things I like about it is that they're supposed to be these you know they shape-shift and they're beautiful and they're alluring and that's how they sort of seduce people into uh in becoming prey but they also have like the bottom half of them they've got goat legs <laughs> and i just in my head you know they wear a big long green dress and they like float on by blah, and blah blah but i just imagine most of these stories are from a time before carpets like, they must yeah. have heard them, like, you know, this, t- this beautiful woman are just like <laughs> clip clopping into the room. You're know, like, surely I would have given something away.
0: I'm just imagining, you know, like the, the cliche, like the leg comes out from behind the door and it's like, it's just a
2: goat leg.
3: A much less seductive.
2: Be much worrying, more worrying if it was a waxed goat's leg. i
3: like, got oh, yeah. <laughs> But it would be great if it was like, um, you know, it was like, just like a, a leg of cured goat meat, and it's like, ooh, like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> dinner and a show.
0: <laughs> so Graham likes his monsters cooked, is what we've
3: I'm just saying, if somebody wanted to seduce me, that would be the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, my favorite would have to be the selkie um that was one of the first legends uh, that i came across and i guess selkie wouldn't really count as a monster i suppose um but they were just very magical um which really attracted me to them and not all not all monsters have to be bad well you know most selkies kind of are but (laughs) not all of them have to be. So uh, the legends I came across were, so there was the one where a Selkie woman falls in love with a fisherman um, and goes on land with him, but needs to return to the sea. Selkies were not made to live on land. They were made to be in the sea and to be free. And so the fisherman knew this. And so he takes her coat, which allows her to turn into a seal and locks it in a chest in his house. So the woman gives him two children Uh, But as time goes by, she gets more and more despondent because she knows she's where she belongs. So one day, one of her children is rooting around in the house and they find uh, her coat, uh, takes the coat on, tries it on, um, doesn't turn into a seal. uh, Because they are they I I don't know why they don't turn into a seal. They're trying it on. They're wandering around the house and the mum sees it, takes the coat and off she goes. Um, And so there's multiple different uh, endings to this tale. There's one where the mother takes the coat but comes back. And so when the kids grow up and become fishermen themselves, their mother visits them and the seal will swim along their boat and make sure they're safe. So their boat will never sink. There's one where they just never see their mum again. And there's one where the selkie goes back to the sea and then comes back, realizing that her true home now is on land. But I just really, I really liked that tale. Um, and I really like Selkies, I want to be a seal
3: <laughs> <laughs> Selkies are great, Selkies are like just the perfect creature of folklore in my eyes and they are like, and you do think of seals as being so cute but it's like almost every Selkie story is tragic like as a oh, real, yeah. real tragic ending and then I heard a thing that it was about Victorian era where they decided to sort of romanticize everything and all those tragic endings were like given a nice twist so that's probably where the whole like she decided to come back again
2: or yeah. it was
3: all a dream <laughs> uh, but most of them are like just brutal like and but you can see how they were the perfect way of explaining just missing people basically you know if a mum decided to abandon her family and disappear you could say to the kids well you know she was a selkie she had to go back to the sea or there are a lot of women who ended up with unexplained pregnancies, and it was, they were the ones that had been visited by the selkie men. And the whole point of a selkie is that they're the most when they take their skin off, they're the most alluring, the most incredible, like looking people in the world, so like, irresistible. And yeah. then they
2: turn into a giant sea Labrador once they go back to the
3: water. <laughs> I, I'm convinced Molly is part selkie. Like when she's in when she's in the water, you're like that is a seal.
0: Oh. <laughs> I love all the creepy ones. Uh, but I was particularly fascinated by so the story about the 12th chief of Glenrinald who was so evil that the devil sent him a frog that just manifested all of his evilness into this creature that was this black frog and (laughs) over time whatever it ate it would just grow and it wouldn't stop growing and I just I'm just picturing in my head like this evil evil man being followed by this caricature of a black toad <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you see it it would be creepy but like when you just picture it like this scary man with his rifle wanting to just shoot his own men and then just a massive toad following behind, <laughs> mean absolutely nothing because the toad never hurt anybody it never did anything it was just there <laughs>
2: I love the idea of the devil as well being like, what punishment do we have? We could fry him. We could burn him to together. <laughs> Send him a toad.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that it, like, gets bigger. Like, I imagine that, like, the devil gave him the toad and he was like, it's just the toad, it's fine. And then, like, a year later, he's like, oh, no. <laughs> How big does the toad get? Oh we don't know like the story didn't make it a specific size like it wasn't like oh it's like the size of a dog or it's the size of I don't know an elephant it it never it didn't really specify but it did say that it was big enough to scare all of the people that lived in that area (laughs) Um, just all the local people were just petrified by this giant toad that seemed to follow him around and he would try and escape from it like he would lock it away in a jail he'd get on a boat sail across the sea and then just totally to disappear, kind of like hello well i'm sure he didn't say that but <laughs> um just on a piece of driftwood
2: <laughs>
3: but at least if it gets big enough you can sit on it and you've got a toadstool <laughs> Oh
1: my god, that's my 13th reason there. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Please, podcast. so bad. Gold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so bad. And my favorite creature is probably the Kelpie because I was a horse girl, um, and it was like <laughs> the Scottish creature that I heard of, and it, obviously it was a horse. Um, don't try to ride right one. Yeah, don't. I mean I would when I was twelve, I would see the pretty pony I'd see the pretty pony and I'd I'd want to ride
3: it. Um why are so dangerous.
0: Exactly. Um I also just really enjoy how like it speaks to how important horses were in society. Like the fact that this was a real temptation for people. Seeing this like magnificent, useful animal at the side of the road. Um that you'd want to jump on and take it and then face the consequences. So for the last question, Derek asks, who is your favorite folkloric drunk?
1: (laughs) David.
2: David, obviously. And a <laughs> mythical beast.
3: <laughs> I was going to say the Laird of Duffus. Up with Duffus Castle up north. And he's one of these people uh, there's a few different stories a few stories that are similar to this where he hears a bunch of fairies saying a certain phrase and this one I think is like horse and hattock or something he just hears them all shouts he just shouts horse and hattock why not why don't you know just as you do just shouts it and before he knows it he is transported into the cellar of the king of france i think he's suddenly he's in paris he's in his cell with all these fairies and they're just getting smashed off all the wine and cheese and meat like and all this just this stuff that they find and they just have a great time and then he falls asleep wakes up obviously with like some very confused guards looking at him be like how did you get in here and why did you drink all this things and he gets hauled in front of the uh, king of france and he basically <laughs> tells the whole story about this magic thing and he was like i honestly don't know how i got here or how i'm gonna get home and the king is so like amused by the thing he just lets him go and he lets him keep so apparently i don't know what happened to it but um the family did have like a goblet with the king of france crest or something on it that um he had apparently got from this adventure they went on and he just had to make the long journey home from paris with probably a stinking hangover
0: like worst hangover in history (laughs) it's like the the old school version of you boarded a plane while you were drunk and you woke up in Paris. It's a, it's a
2: lot harder to do back then, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, just, that's one hell of a better if you managed to make it to Paris without knowing
0: it. <laughs> I also love like the start of that story, why he, he just hears them shouting it. So he's like, hey, I'll join in.
1: To be fair, like if you're in a bar, everyone's a bit drunk, you can start shouting anything and the whole bar will be shouting it with you in like five minutes. Yeah. That is Less great. than. <laughs> I did find another one um, about a man in the highlands whose town had been hit by the plague, um, and he was in the bar with his mates, he, uh, drinking whiskey, and he said, "You know, the devil's caused this plague, but he's not going to get the best of me." So then later, as he was walking home, he runs into the devil because you can't speak of him without him being coming up and asking why. And he says, the devil turns to him, he's like, oh, I hear you've been laughing at me. So now it's time to die. Uh, And the man says instead, why don't we have a drink? So we'll fight, but you have to drink like it will be a drinking fight. Um, And they go take a sip and they're wrestling and they're each taking a sip. And of course, the Highlander has been drinking whiskey, um, you know, in the cradle and the devil can't deal with such a fine and powerful spirit. So in the end, the Highlander wins and he beats the devil. And the next day when he wakes up, the plague is vanished from the town and everyone's celebrating, but no one will believe him because he had gotten so terribly drunk the night before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love that the
1: devil was defeated by a drunk Scot that is <laughs>
0: yeah. the highlight of my year.
1: <laughs> He must have been there, like, listen, I've been training my whole life for this. <laughs> yeah. Did he do the flippy thing with a cup when he finished it? <laughs> yeah, like a boat race. <laughs> That's the modern take on the version. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, but it's true, there is a, a quite profound admiration for whiskey. Um, I loved the tale of the angel's share. Um which I know it's not about drunkards but I think that captures a lot about why Scottish people love whiskey so much and it's the angel shares this thing where when it, during the distilling process for whiskey they put them in these barrels and they put in a certain amount but when they crack them open there's a measure of it missing um, and it's always like there's this liquid just vanishes and so people used to say that was the angels taking their share because it's the finest liquid known to man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would agree. <laughs> 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 like they could have said anyone's taken that, but they're like, no, no, this stuff, this stuff is for heaven. This stuff is for the angels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My favourite drunk, I just tried to look up um, his name and where the story is based, but our website is down so I can't at the moment. So basically... There was a guy in a castle and he had like a raging temper, um, but he also really liked to gamble. And one night he was up um, late. It was a Saturday night. He was up gambling with his pal. And then the servant boy came in and was like, by the way, it's it's almost midnight. It's almost Sunday. You need to stop gambling or, you know, you're going to die. The devil's going to come get you because you're not allowed to gamble on Sunday. And he was like, "No, don't don't be stupid. Like, if if devil wants to come and get me, the devil can come and play cards with me." Um, so the I'll servant drink guy, come on the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the serving boy leaves, and then uh, eventually the the friend that he was playing cards with is like, "Yeah, you know what? I I need to go home." So the guy, the pal, leaves, and then the you know the guy's left by himself, and he's really mad about this. So the devil shows up knocks on the door and they play cards together and but the man has never left that chamber where he was playing cards um basically he's trapped in an eternal game of cards with the devil
3: it's glam's castle glam
0: that's it thank you Errol
3: (laughs) Errol beardy
0: yes beardy
3: yeah (laughs) Yeah. and there's the the thing because there's always been story of like a hidden room in Glam's that's just disappeared, and you go into Great Hall, and it's well, the old Great Hall. And uh they said that, in like the I don't know, the camera when it was, sometime in the 20th century, and all those people were staying there, and they decided to hang towels out of every single window. And they were outside, and there are windows with no towels at them, and they're like, That's it, that must be the room.
0: That's where he is. What is it with our drunks and being so competitive with the devil? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's true It's well I mean it's carrying on To this day when you see a Tiny wee man outside of a club Stepping up to a seven foot Bouncer thinking he can take him
3: Are you saying all Bouncers are the devil (laughs)
1: Yes (laughs) Uh, I'm more talking about The reflection of Having absolutely no power and still Believing you could take on something very Powerful
0: (laughs) the sheer audacity of a Scotsman basically <laughs>
2: yeah. so miles is not so much about the main character being drunken so much as he is getting someone drunk so it's Dougal and the Giant of Athol so in this one there's a giant and he's been robbing all the grain nicking it from everyone, all the honey all the nice things, all the poor villagers are distraught because their crops have been nicked by this big giant and nobody can face up to him because he's, well, he's a giant he'll crush them just step on them, he'll bite their heads off. But Diggle's like, no, nah, I'm not putting up with this. I need to have some grain. We've got to have the grain. He's been nicking our all of our honey. So he, he he marches off in hunt of this giant and then remembers that he's a giant. So he says, I think I need to come up with a plan here. So there's a little thing he's like, you know, this giant we've he's nicked all this stuff, but we do still have some reserves. But well, what do we have? Is it that bad? He walked in, not a lot of food, but they've still got a lot of whiskey. He didn't look like a giant had nipped any of that. It's like, ah, I could, I could get this giant back, but only if he's slightly at a, a disadvantage here. So, he hikes up to where the giant's lair is um, with a couple of barrels uh-huh. of whiskey, and he pours out some grain and some honey into into the cup that the giant drinks from, and then filled the rest with the barrels of whiskey. And then the Giant drink starts drinking, thought it was a bit strange, you know, sweet, nice drink, but it didn't taste like water or anything else he normally drank, but, you know, he he had a bit of a taste for it. And by the time he'd finished the cup, he got quite tired, so he went for a a, a little nap under the tree to sleep off his hangover. (laughs) Unfortunately, Dougal used this opportunity to kill the giant, so it proved to be quite a hangover for him. Um, and, And saved the town and reclaimed all the rest of the grain, and he was worshipped for getting this giant hammered and killing him.
0: Scotland's answer to Odysseus.
2: So, there we go. <laughs> so, while the whiskey is the water of life for Scotsmen, not so much for Scots giants. I like how we get the odd giant out of that in our folklore, even though it's not a very typically Scottish associated creature. It's a lot more Irish, I think, the kind of
3: yeah. giant. There's some, Aberdeenshire's got a few. There's Jock of and Jocko North they were on the two hills and Jocko Benehy is apparently still under his hill locked in there by a witch that's a story for another time
1: yeah and they're both called Jock yeah I mean <laughs> <we're>
3: both Scottish <laughs> giant no uh,
2: Jock fine Jock one Jock two <laughs> oh, no, that Jock.
1: reminds me oh. um, I don't know if you've ever read Terry Pratchett but he has a species Called the Neck Mac in his books, who are based off of pix. They're called Pixies actually, um, and they're all named <laughs> Big Jock, Wee Jock, bigger than Big Jock, Jock Wee, bigger, <laughs> bigger than some wee Jock.
0: Thanks for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the past year as much as we have. We're going to be taking a month-long break over Christmas and New Year, but we'll be back on the twenty-fourth of January with an episode of Campfire Tales. A huge thanks to everyone who has tuned into the podcast over the last year, and a big, big thanks to all of our team members who we couldn't do this without. To David, Rasheen, Graham, and Mila in Cranog, Rosie and Kathy from Into the Greenwood, Joanne Taylor and Graham again for Campfire Tales, and Lindley for her wonderful artwork. So, from everyone here at Folklore Scotland, have a wonderful festive season and a happy new year.